shining a beacon on the bazaar. Right then, our kid, here we are cosy in the library today. We've got a fire crackling away in the grate there. It's a bit, bit, of, a, bit of an overcast wind. It is, isn't it? A bit chillier than normal, but yeah. it's nice. It's cosy. Stay away from the horrible day. We can still do a bit of casting, you see. Ooh, a bit of cheeky. A bit of cheeky casting. We can still do that. But the way I think we'll do it is we'll, well, let's just look at one subject today. Ah, a bit of a deep dive. A bit of a deep dive. I've been doing a lot of, bit of research and looking at stuff, so, you know, we don't always want to be doing, like, lots of different stories. And it's also quite good to look at some of the more sort of serious little stories around mm. there, you know. Well, we haven't done a special of ages, so it's no, about that's time. It, you know. What about the cephalopods? We didn't oh, know. yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> shit, it's oh, I got on that. <laughs> that were in the sub and not the... Oh, long. <laughs> So today, we're actually going all the way over, inland a little bit, and we're going to go mm. to Todmorden. All right. Because we're investigating the strange case of Zygmunt Adamski. So I think you know it, though. You know the story Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. I've never gone really in far into it, and it is a really bizarre one. Yeah, it is a really one. strange case of that, yeah. you know. So we're, we're going to just do a little bit of casting in that direction, see what this story has to hold, because I think it's a story of high weirdness, mm. you know. So Zygmunt Jan Adamski was born in Poland in 1923. And while little is known about his life in Poland, we do know that he fled the country in 1945. Probably as the Soviet Union began to tighten its grip on the country as the war sort of came to an end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, I've used a couple of, sort of little sources for this. So, you know, there's, there's a book called Supernatural England. I'd like to thank that's been a really great source. Uh, and Malcolm Bowles' Calderdale Companion. That's a little <laughs> bit of there, something I could dive into as well. Yeah, that um, good and the Daily Mirror as well, actually. So yeah, covered the a, Mirror. Yeah, the Mirror did, yeah. They covered a few things of this. Now, um, uh, Adamski, you see, they think he might even have been a prisoner of war. When he was released, yeah. he sort of fled the country still because, like I say, Soviet Union taking over there. He's, he's bad news. He's had enough. Yeah, he's had <laughs> so enough. So yeah. Well, I think as well, knowing what Poland was like before the war, you know, yeah. and knowing what the, what the Russians were, were sort of capable of, the Soviets yeah. were capable of, he knew that Poland was going to get their ass kicked for the next sort of 30 years. Yeah. So he thought, nah, can't yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he hoofed it up to England and he settled there. And, uh, and he moved to Tingley, right? Uh -huh. Which is just about, it's a, it's a little sort of like a, the class is village, but it's not, it's like it's a weird suburb, is, is yeah. Tingley. And it's about sort of six miles outside of Leeds, yeah. um, halfway between Leeds and Wakefield. Uh, and and he, uh, this is in West Yorkshire, obviously, you know. And he worked as a coal miner in the Lofthouse Colliery. Um, now, it wasn't unusual, one this. They had a lot of, like, miners that'd go across from Poland. Yeah. And they went all over the place, went on the coal fields of Pennsylvania and places like yeah. this. The Polish just set up communities everywhere. They needed a hole digging yeah. and a hole off the wind, you know what I mean? <laughs> they were good at it. Yeah, absolute grafters, yeah, absolute yeah. grafters. And, these, and they had, so they got their own little sort of communities in these places as well. So yeah. they know, know each other and, you know, they're very quite tight. And because this was quite a tight Polish uh, community where he was in Tingley, um, he managed to find a, uh, a fellow Polish immigrant called uh, 
Leocardia, or Lottie, as she was known, right? And, uh, and they fell in love and got married. Oh, yeah, 1951. Yeah, yeah. 1951. Right, so the next 30 years were pretty uneventful, not much happened in his life. It's just steady Eddie, you know what I mean? So, how old were he at the time? So, he's 30 years in England, he's at. Yeah, that's it. So, right. so, for the next 30 years, so it was like you say, it was when, it, when he came across here, uh, when he came across here, he was, it'll be about 22. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, by this time, so for the next, so he married um, Lottie in 1951, so let's say the next 29 years yeah, or so, you know, yeah. pretty un- pretty uneventful, nothing happening much, hard-working guy. Yeah, uh, totally settled in the UK. Totally yeah. settled in the UK, that were it, you know, but apparently the only issue was they had with the, the relationship was that uh, Lottie contracted multiple sclerosis oh, and she was eventually confined to a wheelchair. Oh, but, um, by all accounts though, um, Zygmunt, or Ziggy, as he was sometimes known, was yeah. really devoted, he was looked after a lot, yeah. he was a, a really top guy, really nice, popular pillar of the community kind of thing, yeah. you know. But by 1980, uh, Zygmunt Adamski's health, his own health, was suffering too. And he contracted bronchitis from a heavy smoking habit, which Ooh. doesn't help on the effect of 30 years of coal mining <laughs> as well, you know. It's a deadly mix, isn't it? I know, it, isn't it, oh. you know, so he's like, Got you know. black lung, papa. <laughs> <laughs> it's a silicosis. <laughs> and then... Um, and he'd actually been off work for sort of quite a few months as well yeah. with, uh, with sickness and that, you know. And he realised, he was getting to a point where he was realising, um, I'm going to have to be off work, I'm going to have to look after my missus, I'm going to have to look after myself as well, I'm oh, not well enough yeah. to go down pit. And my wife needs constant care, she's wheelchair yeah. bound, you know. But he was so devoted, that's his thing, he was he really, wow. really wanted to look after her, right? So he actually applied for early retirement from mm. the pit, but he was rejected. Oh, no. So anyway, he was under appeal anyway, he had, yeah. a, he had an appeal going through and everything, so you know. He, 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 had, he had a bit of hope in his heart, yeah. you know. But on Friday, the 6th of June, right, uh, 1980, Zygmunt Adamski had been shopping in Wakefield Town Centre with his cousin and her son who were visiting the Adamskis from Poland, right? Yeah, yeah. So that afternoon, they went back to the Adamski's house and they all had fish and chips. And it, it, by all accounts, Zygmunt was really enjoying his cousin's visit. It was yeah. really nice to see the family and all this sort of stuff. And they were also looking forward the next day, right? Because he was supposed to be giving away his goddaughter in marriage. Yeah. So he was like the guy who yeah. was going to be, you know, big, big, big part. And he'd written a speech and everything for the occasion. They were really sort of G'd up for it. They didn't yeah. want to let anyone down. They were like, here we go, this is great. But then at half past three, Adamski said he was nipping out to the corner shop, right, just down the street, literally yeah. a few hundred, couple of hundred yards down the street, just to buy some potatoes. Oh, that's all they were after, right? <laughs> nice Take a Polish thing, yeah. <laughs> some fags and some yeah. potatoes. So he grabbed his coat, right, and he, in yeah. his coat he had his wallet, driving license, and some, just a bit of small change and stuff, right? Yeah. He left the house. And on his way, for him, saw one of his neighbours who was washing cars, they had a little bit of a chat and all that sort of stuff, and he tooled on his way. Sorry, what time was it? This was uh, this was at three thirty in, in the afternoon. Right. Yeah, yeah, that was it. So, um, and apparently he got to the shop. Some some accounts say he made it to the shops, and some accounts say that he didn't, which is yeah. a bit weird. I'm not too sure, but I think he actually made it to the shops. Yeah. Got some spuds, and promptly disappeared off the face of the earth. Oh, right, three thirty in the afternoon. Three thirty in the afternoon. Oh, on the Saturday, did he say? And this was no, this was on Friday. Friday. This was on a Friday at three thirty, right? Sixth yeah. of August, sixth of June in nineteen. So it's summer. Yeah. Um, a, a warm evening, apparently, really, really nice evening. Uh, he's in a, he's in a neighbourhood. He's quite a, a crowded neighbourhood. It's a busy neighbourhood. Yeah. You know, there's people kicking about. Like I said, there's people washing the cars. He's chatting to people. He's seen shopkeepers. Yeah. Nobody knows how he's disappeared. Just oh. bam, disappeared off the face of the earth, right? And there's a sort of afternoon turn to evening kind of thing. Uh, his wife and cousin became increasingly worried when he didn't return home. And that evening, Lottie contacted Wakefield Police to report him missing. 
but despite an intensive police inquiry and, and an appeal in local newspapers, uh, their investigation came to nothing. Wow. It, it was just gone, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? So like the weeks following it, or a few days? Or? Well, nothing was seen or heard of Zygmunt Adamski for five whole days. God. But then, on the 11th of June, which was, say, five days later, yeah. at 3.45 in the afternoon, right, mm -hmm. almost five days to the minute <laughs> since Adamski had disappeared, Trevor Parker, the son of a Todmorden coal merchant, arrived at Tomlin's Coal Yard, which was owned by his father. So yeah. that's that's their family family business. And this was situated situated next to Todmorden Station. Right. And it was a quiet, remote spot at the end of a dirt track. So it's right out of the way. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? And and he, while he was there, he was sort of loading up for the last last load of the day, right? Mm. And uh, as he was loading up, he suddenly looked up, and there he spotted on top of a twelve foot pile of anthracite coal. The body of a man. Uh, now, anthracite coal is just—it's a very, very high-grade, high-burning coal. It's yeah. one of the best coal you, can, coal you can get. So that's where he was on this particular sort of thing. And the body on top of it, right? It was Zygmunt Adamski. Jesus, he's freaky. This. Yeah. So Parker had been at the yard that morning at eight fifteen already. So he'd yeah. been there once already that day. And he, he was certain, absolute, one hundred percent definite that there was no body there then. And in the intervening hours, while well, Mr. Parker had been absent, the gates of the, the, the yard had been left unlocked just in case there'd been any deliveries or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Right? Um, but there were no deliveries, nobody had been, as far as they know, nobody had been up there, you know. I mean, mm. it wasn't like there were sort of cars kicking about or anything. So Trevor Parker was shocked at this sort of really grim discovery, yeah, you know what I mean? But, and then he managed to overcome his like initial horror and he quickly rushed to get an ambulance. Yeah. And Parker is quoted as saying, I was loading my truck for the last delivery of the day. The body was just lying there in plain sight. I didn't know if the man was dead or alive, and it gave me terrible fright, so I called the police and ambulance. I didn't want to be out there by myself. I was scared, and the body gave me an eerie feeling. I have no idea how the man got into the yard, but I can tell you one thing for absolutely certain. There was no body on that coal pile when I loaded my truck earlier. God, it's funny that he's got that kind of feelings of it. Cause you think you're natural one to like scurry up and check, or well, this is it. He, he got fully freaked out. Yeah, he was it. fully freaked out. There, he, there, as he said, there, there was this atmosphere. But imagine if you're if you're in a coal yard somewhere, and you're on your own in a lonely, yeah. remote area, you know what yeah. I mean? And you're just suddenly going doopy doopy about your business, it's your workplace, it's where you're yeah. and then you just look up and you think, there's a fucking body layers on top of that it's coal. Surreal, isn't it? You know, yeah. you're really out of place and. Yeah, that's yeah. it, and that's what he found here. He didn't know if he was dead or alive. He yeah. was just thinking, shit, where, where's he come from? Sort oh of thing, you know God. what I mean? So it wasn't just that the body was there that was the only weird thing, mm. right? But there were some other mysteries. See, coal's incredibly difficult to climb. It's slippery and greasy underfoot, right? And added to this, there was light rain falling, so wow. actually to climb up there, it'd have been like an absolute... A pile of grease. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. It's absolute effort to yeah. get up there, you know? And it would have been hard for a fit man to get to the top, but Zygmunt Adamski was not a fit man yeah. at all. And it would have been impossible for him to climb up there. And if he was already dead, when he was placed on the coal pile, how did he get up there? Because climbing the pile was a dis difficult task in itself. Yeah. But carrying a dead body at the same time was out of the question, mm, you know? Yeah. And besides, there were absolutely no imprints in the coal to indicate anyone had climbed up there. There were no footprints, there were no sort of feet embedded yeah, in that there. Bit, you know, you know, every second foot you're kicking stuff down, are That's you? it, it'd, it'd be like all a of it. solid trail. You would have done, absolutely. Especially yeah. carrying someone up there, you'd be like, 
man, that'd be a mess, wouldn't it? Well, it is, and then of course, if you if you did manage to do that, yeah. you'd you'd got him up there, you'd run back down and be cold all over the floor, wouldn't there? Yeah. Anything like He's that? He's not doing it for shits and giggles and all. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah that's it. Put him right on top. Right, so yeah, exactly. You just think how how or why would you go about this yeah. sort of weird thing? You know, you're exactly hiding it, you're presenting it. Aren't you? That's it. It's, it's a sort of strange, strange. Yeah, almost like a display. Mm. You know. Now, Adamski was wearing his jacket, but he had no shirt on. All he had on underneath Whoa. was like a string vest that he'd been wearing that day, you know? Oh, did, so his shirt was missing, or he just had gone. that? No shirt wow, was there. Wow, and shirt, he did have one on. He, did, he had had a shirt oh, on, sorry. yeah, so the shirt was gone. Yeah. Right, and Trevor Parker could see an odd burn mark on the back of his head, neck, and shoulders. Crikey. So that's another thing that looked really weird to him. He noticed that while he was waiting, because he was, you know, yeah. he had to wait about half an hour before the police turned up. Yeah. So they did turn up, and it was uh, the two coppers were called Mervyn Haig and Alan Godfrey. And they arrived, like I say, about 25 minutes, half an hour later, right? And they were first on the scene to investigate. And Parker told them everything he knew, but there wasn't much to go on. And the body was taken to the morgue down the road about Hebden Bridge at, at I think it was about 9.15. Mm. So the dad, uh, CID had turned up, there was all the yeah. full investigation, everything. The Sweeney? Yeah. That's But yeah, it's like, sort of like, uh, the, so the, yeah, so the detectives had turned up and looked at the case. And everything, yeah. Everyone agreed, that oh, this looks a bit weird, does this? Is it well strange? Yeah. So they sort of roped it off and did a few examinations and all the stuff. They checked a few things and then at 9.15 they carried the body off to, the, uh, to Hebden Bridge where there was a morgue. Wow. Or the mortuary that down yeah. there, you know. Uh, and the post mortem was conducted by the consultant pathologist, Dr. Alan Edwards, right, to find the cause of death. Mm. Now, Alan Edwards, even to this day, keeps saying this is the weirdest case he's ever come across. Right. Right. He's still talking about yeah, it. Yeah, still talking about it. Now. He says, by far, by country miles, God knows how many cases. So he, he, he's looked at something like 15,000 different cases, <laughs> oh, right? And this was the one. So, this was yeah. absolutely bizarre. Yeah. And an actual quote from him, right, this is a sober pathologist. He said, if somebody had told me that a UFO had taken, landed out of space and just placed the body there and flown away, he says, I'd have only raised half an eyebrow. Wow. That's how and much that's, you, yeah, yeah, proper doctor serious Pop, dude. That's it, yeah. So it was estimated that the time of death, right, this is a weird one, was between eleven fifteen AM and one fifteen PM on that day. Wow. So he'd been somewhere, he hadn't just been carted in a freezer or something. No, that's it. He, he hadn't been, no, he hadn't been in a freezer or anything like that. He'd been somewhere for the last five days. Alive. <laughs> alive. And on, was only just sort of dead within, I don't know. If he'd been there at 8.15 that morning and then he'd left, he was, uh, Adamski would have had to probably out of the coal yard, been dropped off there, whatever had happened yeah. to him there, or probably died at the coal yard. Gosh. Which is just, just bizarre, yeah, you know what I mean? It, yeah. Now, there were no major physical injuries or internal injuries at all. Yeah. No marks on him to speak of like that. Except those three burn marks. Yeah. So he definitely hadn't been assaulted. He hadn't been battered or beaten up yeah. or anything like that. And there were strange oval-shaped burn marks on the left side of his neck and below his ear. And these had caused a slight loss of skin. Brown discoloration and a tacky substance had been applied to them, like a, like a yellow ointment had been wow, applied to them, right? Yeah. So the pathologist that took samples of this yellow ointment and sent it off to uh, a lab in, uh, uh, I, think it was, I think it was a lab in Wakefield, yeah. they sent it away, couldn't find what this substance was. <laughs> it was a total mystery, they just didn't know what wow. it was, you know what I mean? So that was another weird thing, you know? Mm. So Dr. Edwards thought the marks were made by like a corrosive substance of some sort, but he couldn't say what kind. And although the burns were fairly serious, they weren't the cause of death. Yeah, you yeah. know. 
but he, he sort of said there might have been the sort of thing that caused him enough sort of discomfort or panic that might have induced a heart attack. Yeah. That's, his, that's his sort of thinking. But the final verdict for this uh, uh, coroner's report, right, it was natural causes. Oh. Because as he'd obviously died from a heart attack and chest disease, you know, yeah. so or heart and chest disease, right. But the, one of the police constables, right, Alan Godfrey, had been first on yeah, the scene. Yeah. He disagreed with this conclusion, and he was under the impression there was far too much evidence of interference or foul play, right, yeah. uh, to conclude that it was natural causes. Yeah. Somebody else was involved. Yeah. Something had happened, yeah. you know. So even though Zygmunt Adamski was found minus his shirt, which was never recovered, he'd not been sleeping rough. His body showed that it had only one day's growth of stubble. Whoa. So he'd ev evidently been staying somewhere where he'd been able to shave the days previously. Yeah. So it was only on that day that he, you know, didn't shave. Didn't shave, yeah. And even though his stomach was empty, this merely indicated that he had not eaten on the day of, the day of his death. Right. So the finding, it, because he wasn't thin, he wasn't malnourished, he didn't look rough or anything. Yeah. He just, he just obviously had been eaten and been cared for in some way or another. You know. Uh, Dr. Edwards did find abrasions on his thigh and small cuts on both his hands and knees. Any, you know, I know it's a silly question, they might not say it, but were his hands black and bright, like he could have been climbing up? No. His <gasps> skin was perfectly clean, and they quote, to quote, as if he has just stepped out of the shower. Oh man, because that, that proves it to me. That's the thing I wanted to ask all yeah. along. What were his, you know, alright, his trousers and whatever, but his hands, I just want to know about his hands. His and hands it's clean. clean. Because there's no fucking way going up a slaggy by you without getting black, bright, mate. Well, that's it, because his clothes were said to be improperly fastened, so the buttons were done up wrong on his jacket, wow. his, um, his uh, shoelaces were done up wrong, they are all sort of like all over the place. <laughs> his trousers were done up in the wrong kind of way. And it was as if someone didn't know what they were doing. Right? <laughs> and his hair had been cut short in a rough way, almost like it had been clippered short. Right? God, that's a very odd yeah. one. And his wallet and watch were missing, and there was no coal dust or dirt on his body, as you would expect if it climbed or been dragged up a 12 foot pile of coal. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just. It's it just it? bizarre, wow. isn't it? And they found as well that he'd never, no evidence he'd ever been to Todmorden in his life. Right. Didn't really yeah. know the place. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. wasn't for him or all that kind of malarkey, you know what I mean? He was, you know, he's a Leeds lad, he just, you know, yeah. got on with his business there, you know. So in the weeks leading up to the disappearance, there'd been numerous reports of newspapers and the police about orange fireballs and other unidentified flying objects seen across West Yorkshire, mainly Bradford, Halifax, and Todmorden. And while some of these sightings were explained as aircraft, atmospheric phenomena, and flares used by Moreland rescue teams, some remained unexplained, including a substantial amount which were reported after Adamski had disappeared. So this was like a mystery then, it was just totally solved. Nobody knew what could have happened yeah. to him, you know. And it remained unsolved. But then six months after the Adamski incident, in the early morning of Friday the 28th of February 1980, PC Alan Godfrey, one of the police officers who was first on the scene of Adamski's body in the coal yard was on night patrol, driving along Burnley Road, which leads out of Tomerden, investigating a report that a herd of cows were blocking the road. <laughs> now the weird thing is about this story, I've heard more and more about it, there were reports coming in all night. Oh, there's a, there's a herd of cows blocking the road here. The cows are here now, you know what I mean? The cows. Yeah. So people's phoning in all over, from all over the place. <laughs> He's driving around like a nutter, right, yeah. trying to find these cows, right? And he's just—he's having no luck, yeah. right? No luck at all. 
So as he's buzzing along, right, he uh, he passed a fellow police officer who's on foot who declined an offer of a lift. He sort of pulled over, says, "Yeah, do you, want, do you want to lift her out?" You know, right? and um, didn't want one. He's on patrol, so Godfrey went on it. PC Grant, uh, Alan Godfrey went on his way, and he managed to find the place in the road where, he, where the last been reported. When he arrived there, what he saw seemed to be a bus blocking the road. Right? right. He thought, "Man, there's a fucking what's the bus doing blocking this?" You know, and his inclination. Now this is a little bit of a thing, because I've heard from this that his inclination at the time was to actually sketch what he was seeing, yeah. to sort of like get a layout of where it is, what the pattern is and what the position is of it, so he can get a bit of help here, you know. Because yeah. I've actually heard interviews with him and with Jenny Randalls as well investigating the case, the Todmorden incident, as it was called. So he started doing a few like little preliminary sketches to get an idea and, you know. Mm. Then he looked at his drawing. And he'd basically drawn a spacecraft. Oh, Jesus. So, right. His brain is thinking, you know, that it, that is a coach. Yeah, that's it. That's what, <laughs> he, was, what he was doing. He was like, all oh, right, let's sketch this. You know, yeah. These hands are actually done. And, and then he realised what he was looking at. Wow. And that, yeah, so his spell mind, were broken. The spell were broken. Yeah, this man. is it. So whatever had been sort of indicating to his mind yeah. that, oh, you're only seeing a bus, mate. Yeah, In the yeah. same way that possibly everyone was seeing like a herd of cows, exactly. something mass there. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was, it was a thing that was sort of suggested to him because that's a common thing in the area. Yeah. Or you're seeing cows, you're seeing a bus, whatever, it's, you yeah, know. It's that thing that you're yeah. familiar with, isn't it? Like some cloaking device, but it's like a mental cloaking device. That's it. Yeah. And, and suddenly he could see it. And what he was drawing was like a huge diamond-shaped object with like strange spinning windows, right? And in his own words he says, I was driving a police car at the time and in the early hours of the morning I came across what I thought at the time was a bus that slid across the road sideways. And when I approached the object, I got within about 20 yards of it and immediately came across what I now would describe as a UFO. It was about 20 feet high and 14 feet wide. Right. Oh no, so the other way around, it was sort of 20 feet wide and 14 yeah. feet high, right? And was diamond shaped. It had a bank of windows in it and the bottom half was rotating. And the police blue beacon was bouncing back off of it as if as were my headlights. And it was hovering off the ground, about five feet off the ground. God. And it says it was frightening, it's you know, really obviously very frightening. But what was happening as well, it was the, the, all the dirt and twigs and stuff on the ground were just spinning like a vortex, Jeez. but silently. <laughs> and then, but the higher treetops around were quite still, so yeah. all the bushes were shaking and all the ground was being stirred up a bit, all silent when this thing was just sort of spinning away, right? And then, so what he did then, he saw he, he'd got the car parked up and he, and he said uh, he tried to attempt to call the police on both his car radio and his mobile walkie talkie, which he had at the time, and he couldn't get through on either, right? Mm. Then suddenly he found himself driving a hundred yards down the road and the UFO was gone. And he realised that his boot was split, right? Cool. And he'd, uh, he had like a saw on his boot, as well, on his foot as Whoa. well. He had, he, had a, he had a saw on his foot. Now he was deeply disturbed by this experience and he was unsure what to do, right? So he actually went back to the site and thought, yeah. what the hell am I doing yeah, here, yeah. you know what I mean? But. Um, I think he, what he actually did, he, he didn't mention anything at first. He just yeah. went back to the south of the he station. He was so shocked. Yeah, he yeah. fucking nothing like that. And he, he he went back to the station, basically just reported about the cows because he he sort yeah. of drove away again. Then right, he got past like the, the local rugby league sort of ground. Looks in the rug, look, rugby uh, uh, rugby league field, like the playing field. <laughs> All the fucking cows are there. Oh what? All the cows are there, just staring at him. Oh man. <laughs> right. And it was just like, what the fuck's going on? Play rugby. Just... <laughs> that would have been a sight, wouldn't it? 
So he was really disturbed about this, didn't know what to do. Uh, and then he heard all his colleagues start talking about like, that night when they, this had been going on, loads of reports of strange lights in the sky. Jesus. And, it, and he sort of he decided, right, he, he, he came out about it, he sort of he chatted with another guy, and he happened to be a member of a local UFO investigation society. So at his colleague's suggestion, PC Godfrey went on. So his colleague's suggestion, PC Godfrey underwent a session of regressive hypnosis with a Manchester psychiatrist eight months after the incident. Right, so he'd let it go, but it'd been on uh, his mind yeah. all along. You know, never gonna forget it in area. Yeah. yeah. And all these sessions were videotaped, wow. so you can actually watch these sessions. I've not a chance to see them. Yeah, they've yeah. all been videotaped. And under regression, he told of the bright light stopping the car engine causing his radio and police handset both to be filled with static and how he was swamped by blinding light as he lost consciousness. He recalled then being inside a strange room, more like a house than a spaceship, and there was a large black dog. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, PC. <laughs> 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 any cars. <laughs> And he was studied by a heavily bearded man who telepathically conveyed that his name was Yosef, who wore biblical clothing. Jesus! Right? And assisting Yosef were several small robot-like creatures <laughs> the size of a five-year-old lad and with the head of the shape of the lamp. <laughs> oh, that would drive me insane. It's the dog that bothers me about all yeah, this. I don't know why. It was me. That, that stood out to me as well. I thought to myself, could the dog just leave room? This is fucking weird already, man. <laughs> fucking get dog out. So Godfrey was asked questions and told that he knew Joseph and was promised a later encounter. So he said something else is going to happen later on, you know. Well, oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's a bit of a threat, isn't it? <laughs> no. I'm coming back for you, mate. It is. That dog's coming too. <laughs> yeah. So in spite of the potential damage to his reputation, PC Godfrey stuck unerringly to his story. And later even wrote a book about his experiences. I think it was about 2017 he wrote this book. Wow, right, right yeah. Stayed with him yeah. all that. And nonetheless, it wasn't enough to stop West Yorkshire Force. Uh, I'm sacking him. Well, <laughs> they were questioning his sanity. But I mean, oh, basically, bless get, him. In, in the police force, he would get a lot of shit. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the crap thing like, about yeah. UFO stories, though, isn't it? Yeah. It must be awful to see one and not be believed. Yeah, that's it. You know, people are taking piss and everything. So it's like, especially Ooh. with coppers, you know. Yeah. But his bosses would sort of like kept pulling him on one side and saying, look, Alan, I think you should stop talking about this. Yeah. This is all getting a bit much. <laughs> but um, what happened was, he, he kind of did stop talking about it, but one of his other colleagues leaked it to the local paper. Oh. So he got out in the local paper and became a bit of a hoopa, oh. you know what I mean? All this sort of malarkey. And um, But then later on, it, it, it went national as well. It went like a bit of a national incident, did this. And when it went that way, that's when it started shining a really bad light on the police, as far as yeah. they were concerned. And they were really leaning on uh, on pressuring him. But one thing I did hear about this incident, which you don't read about much, was I think he might have had a bit of an anal probe, my Alan. Oh! Because he was saying he'd having this trouble with his ass kind of thing oh. afterwards. But then they kept, I think they, they took him off the bobby beat and they kind of made him do like a bicycle beat. Ooh. So he's there thinking, oh, fucking hell, man, I'm not going to be able to sit on the saddle <laughs> after being called out by a UFO. You know? <laughs> so he's, he, he, it was all pretty traumatic, you know. Nice scene, man. Nasty scene. aliens, man, they love the bungalow. I know, they love it. <laughs> Later on, you see, because he was he, he left the force, but basically, I think he was a little bit, a bit part of being pushed, mm. you know, part of it. Yeah. He was so also giving him bicycle duties. I know, it's tight. It's more than a push, is that? So he reckoned there was some sort of conspiracy against him, that's what he yeah. thinking was happening, you know. 
Anyway, received letters from Professor Valery Sakharov of the Institute of Science and Technology in Moscow, expressing interest in his sightings. And they wanted to know about another big case, the Rendlesham Forest incident, which happened four weeks after this. Oh, God, is it in that time? Wow. All the same time frame, right? So speaking to the, the uh, UFO Chronicles, Alan said, the powers that be decided to discredit me. It started very small and built into a crescendo that went from the sublime to the ridiculous. I've never understood why they did it. There must have been a reason for what they did to me. I got a letter from a professor at Moscow University and he wanted to know if I could assist him with my encounter and an encounter that took place at an American airbase in Suffolk. And I'd never heard of it then, but it happened four weeks after my encounter. But like an idiot, because I was a copper and wanted everything in the open, I passed on the letters on to my superior. So he was sort of saying, hey, I've got yeah. this letter from Moscow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was shortly after that I met a man from the ministry. And I think he thought it was James Bond or something. You know? <laughs> so the man said to him, just call me the man from the ministry. Wouldn't even give oh, him a title, right? right? yeah, yeah. And that's all he said when I was being interviewed. And he was just sat in the corner. Now this man had a file with him, and it was about an inch thick, and he was reading it, and I could see my drawing I'd done was on it, right? Yeah, so yeah. he'd done this sketch, that sketch, he was looking at this sketch, right? And as he was fumbling about, I could see a sudden death report, and I recognised it straight away. It was a Damsky's file. <laughs> so they'd been putting them both together. Fucking hell, this is mental. And this is why, he says, I don't know, because the Russians were involved. I was asked to keep in contact with this professor and pass on any letters I'd get to my superiors who would pass it on to the man from the ministry. So they're sort of trying to get him to open a dialogue with this guy in Russia yeah. but then pass any information he gets on to this man from the ministry. But the thing is now, what uh, Alan's saying is that the file, the reports he's made on like UFOs and everything like that, like, it should have been disclosed. You know, when they big uh, after a certain amount of time, yes. they, yeah. yeah. So he was, he was waiting for the files to all come out, which they did. There was like a big UFO sort of like dump of things like yeah. that, right? And it should have been in amongst that lot. His report's not there. Ooh. It didn't come out in the dump. You know what I mean? That so it's is like, yeah. So it's, it, and he described it as a. It's a neither did the Damskis as well, right? Yeah. So he says, what did the man from the ministry do with those files? And he says, my file is one piece of paper with a report on about what had happened that night and my drawing. And I'd sent it to the divisional office who sent it to the, uh, to the Ministry of Defence. And either it's been classified or the police got rid of it, which I doubt because the man from the ministry wouldn't have got involved. And he had it in his hand, didn't and, he? Yeah, that's it, you know. But it's like saying now, he says, it, it, they're asking Alan, do you think it was alien abduction? Do you think? And yeah. he, says, he says, I don't know. He yeah. says, I'm not going to tell you, say I was abducted by aliens because I don't. I can't say definitively. Exactly. That's what happened to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, he says, all he knows is he saw a weird craft in the road 40 years ago and he said, if I'd thrown a brick at it, it would have gone bang. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, he didn't know that metallic warp, yeah. He says, it's 40 years since the incident and I've never tried to influence anyone's opinions about uh, UFOs or aliens. He said, I just got on with my life, I had more important things in my life back then, and I got two commendations as a police officer, which you don't often get. Mm, you know? So good at his job, he wasn't just like hanging on by a thread. Oh no, but yeah, it, it, that's it, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. a kook. The guy yeah, was absolutely yeah. very reputable, very solid sort of member of the police community, you know. Yeah. And he says he just loved his job, and then he's not able to convince anybody. He said, what's mm. the point, you know? And he says what he saw that night, it was a nuts and bolts solid object. Mm. It wasn't a hallucination. I didn't fall asleep. 
I've been driving police cars on nights for years, and all I saw that night was an unidentified flying object. Mm -hmm. And he's saying it rather than, I saw a UFO. He's not, yeah, he's saying he yeah. saw something that was unidentified yeah. flying, right? He says, there's no idea if it was extraterrestrial or man-made. And I'd like to believe it was extraterrestrial because it was fascinating, but I just don't know. Yeah. So Alan's book was published in 2017. It's called Who or What Were They, right? And he said he just wanted to write down in his own words what, yeah, what the story is about. Yeah, yeah, so I'm going to get all of this because it's self-published yeah. book he's done, you know. But uh, I have I have heard a rumour though that the book's been taken up by a little bit like Hollywood or something like that. It's going to get made into Ooh. a movie or, or something. That should be interesting. Yeah. So Philip Mantle, the former director of investigations of the British UFO Research Association, Association and author of Without Consent, said. What everyone may think or believe regarding UFO close encounter cases, there is no doubt there was one such incident that stands out here in the UK, and that case is one involving PC Alan Godfrey. He was not only a serving police constable at the time, but he was actually driving his panda car, so it's like, you know, he's, he's a responsible fucking guy, yeah, you know. Yeah. So former police detective Gary Hesseltine now edits UFO Truth magazine, and he said, I researched Alan's case over an 18-month period, meeting with him on many occasions and becoming his friend. He says he was a well-respected police officer amongst his colleagues who became involved in what was largely regarded as Britain's first documented alien abduction case. And he says he's seen the videos, all these hypnotic regression videos, yeah, yeah. and based on all I know of this case, I believe his account to be genuine. Now that's his drawing there, right? Well, the cow. No! <laughs> well, like, the one's even going to do I'm a bus. I'm just seeing a cow! <laughs> <laughs> You've been got! <laughs> oh, I'm getting you. God. So it's not very detailed, but yeah. it's like, it an idea of what it is. It's just it's just a weird thing, isn't it? Yeah, and that's spinning anti-clockwise base, and then... Like, that's it. Nice diamondy pattern windows. Oh, God, it's, yeah, it's... That's classic, isn't it, way? Yeah, that's it. So it, it is absolutely bizarre. So what do you think of that? Just it all, you know, when you add it, the three things together, you know what I mean? Uh, him up the coal mountain, you know, just yeah. left there. He's just so bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. Burn marks, no cause of death. Missing for that many days, we're only having one day stubble. You know, like he's gone to a place where time don't exist in a way, or, you know, like they took him away. Yeah. Um, it's happened to him, they've, they've used him up, dumped him. It's like they've been on holiday, doesn't it? You know, like UFOs, they've had like a month on Earth and they can yeah. do what, you know, they're suddenly doing what they want. <laughs> yeah. So they're just burning down causing mischief. Well, it's, 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 I mean, you look at other, other theories, you see, because um, one thing is with Adamski being, uh, uh, they think he might not have been looking forward to that wedding the next day as much as people may uh, have. Because what they've done recently, or what they've went and interviewed people, saying what happened was his cousin and their child, and the cousin's child were at his yeah. house. And the reason they were there, rather than sort of anywhere else, was because apparently her husband was a bit of a nut, he was abusive or something. Yeah. And he'd had, uh, they had like an injunction taken out against him. And so she legged it to the yeah. Adamskis to stay there. Yeah. And apparently, the, this, this, her husband were furious with the Adamskis for taking her in, you know. Yeah, yeah. But the wedding the next day, apparently they're all going to be there and it could have all kicked off a little yeah, bit, you know yeah. what I mean? But I don't think it was a serious enough event. That I've heard little bits of negatives and I think he's, even if he didn't, he got to the shop and thought, you know what, I need to clear my head and go for a walk. It's that type of time, innit? You're gonna get abducted. You know, you're gonna go for a little bit of a random walk on a Saturday, three fifteen, half past yeah. three, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, you're just trying to clear your head, and then suddenly, 
don't do unexpected happen. Yeah, that's it. He's, he's, he's a weird one, is that, you know? Really? I mean, these, I mean these people who are trying to claim they got hit by ball lightning for some reason. Ooh. Blown up there. Yeah, I don't know what I mean. Because that's the thing, is, is how, how do you get on top of a big coal pile like that, you know? In all seriousness. I mean, one thing I wondered and looked into was, was it the case of, was he dumped on top of a train, you know what I mean? I know, because I was thinking that the old Sherlock Holmes story yeah. is a really good one, and it's the train that, you know, it's out of a window onto a train, and yeah. off he goes to the other side of the country. And I thought that as he got on it and fallen off. Well, I've looked at overhead pictures Have of you? it. Yeah, it's yeah. nowhere near, it's not near enough the, the, the rail yard for that to happen, but you know. Plus, I say, again, you've got to add those three up. It ain't just a single case in this, is it? You know, no. Is it such a, it's no coincidence that the copper that were first on the scene or second on the scene yeah. is involved in the second incident so strongly yeah and then one of the biggest ufo things ever to happen to england happened four weeks later after that you see i'm, I, I'm well the weird thing is with the, with the rendlesham forest if you look at the pictures of the ufo for that yeah they're pretty in fact we'll have a quick look now yeah, right? yeah. so sort of they've made like a, a I mean, it's not particularly great but they've made like a rough idea of what kind of looked like Man, and that is very similar. It's very similar it's to very the one similar. that happens, yeah. to, you know, to Alan there. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. he he he's seen he's seen that something going on there. Alan Godfrey's seen something which is similar in some sort of way to that. They're not great artists. These people are doing yeah, a sketch. Yeah. It's like a rough idea, you know. So I'm, but at the same time, I'm kind of counting the Todmorden incidents as a thing in themselves. You know, I think it's like I think with Rendlesham. Yeah, something weird went on there, super, super weird, yeah. you know. And the fact that the the Russians have said, hey, we want to know about what happened with you, we want to know what happened to Adamski, we want to know what happened to um, uh, uh, Rendlesham as well, you know. So it's like, yeah, they're putting it together. There's something happening over in Rushki, though, and they're what's happening over in UK? This is like, this is just like ours, or... Well, that's that's a good point. Yeah, why did why did the Russians reach out? You know, that's a bit of an odd one. Isn't it? So that was never explained. One they've done it in like some yeah. weird tech rusky way, or well, again, this man similar thing. Well, this man from the ministry, who's he? You know what yeah. I mean? It's almost like he's almost like a Men in Black episode, that isn't it? Sort of thing. Not half. And then you think about it, old Adamski. He's come from a concentration, but fleeing the Ruskies. Yeah. And some of the Ruskies, you know, are on further on the case. Well, funny enough, that's something that they did think people think was he assassinated by the KGB, sort of thing. Yeah. You know, that could have been, and it could have been the case that the reason why he's gone missing is being sort of like he's been snatched, and interrogated, yeah, or something. And, and well. even even then, you see, it might be the fact. He's, he's turned around and said he is who he is, but he's bit Adamski's basically come from Russia. We almost no background of him. We don't know who he was, and there was a lot of cases where um, quite ordinary people. There was one recent about there was a woman and I've forgotten the name of her now, and she was just living in an ordinary village and just sort of like you know minding her own business. And it turns out she had a very high-powered radio in her loft, huh? and she was just ordinary business. She wasn't doing anything sort of like a um, that was you'd think was particularly peculiar. She wasn't like working for the MOD or anything yeah, like this, yeah. you know. But it turns out she's a, a, a long-standing Russian plant. Wow. She'd been in it. She's just spying on various things or whatever she could get information she could yeah. get just on the fly, really. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And she'd sniff around and make friends with people and sort of find out. So little sleeper agents. That's what she was. Yeah, yeah she's a sleeper agent. Yeah. So you never know. I mean, basically, uh, it could have been Adamski. Could have been a sleeper agent, perhaps. You know, there's no evidence to say so. But it's still, even if it what Ruskies and other do some dastardly tricks, but why on top of a call? Like, you know, why have to be bothered to take his shirt and? Yeah. Chuck him up somewhere so weird rather than just digging all somewhere, you know. Well, I mean, a lot of these people turn around and say, though, that um, 
that's the question you're going to ask. I think they call that psyop. Um, ah, right. So the bizarre it up the mix. That's it. Uh, yeah, and also the fact that he's a coal miner who's left on top of coal mm. could have been another little hint that something you know. Did like, he find something down there like quit a mask? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think so. Got a big UFO. But no, I, so I don't know whether you see. I find it, I find it very strange the whole incident. But, you Especially know. the cop again, inly probed by a black lab. <laughs> Things with nightmares, I, I think as well though the whole thing with uh, the Alan Godfrey sort of side of stuff though, uh, he's he 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 had so much to lose, yeah, so much to lose by yeah, saying yeah. something, you know yeah. what I mean? And it is just and he so just were honest, were not he? Like he said, yeah. don't say no, so you fools. It was just like I saw this, yeah, and that's it, and a load of cows playing rugby or whatever it was. I know, but I think, the thing is as well, it's, it's a weird area, Tomadon. It's very mm. strange, that neck of the woods, you know. Mm. Uh, and they, they do say, like, during the winter months, they suffer some, from, like, a bit of a madness. Wow. Because the... Um, because the sun goes down sort of like so early because it's like deep in that it's like a gorge it's where the valley goes really really right, narrow right, yeah. so the sun goes down really early and it doesn't yeah. set it, it is, the sun doesn't sort of rise until really really late because it's got to get over the valley wall yeah, so yeah. you sort of only getting some days you're getting like about two and a half hours daylight oh, yeah. you know so the people in the valley can go a little bit sort of stir crazy yeah, in the darkness yeah. you know and that's that's like a bit of a bit of a known thing is that mm. but um, I don't think there was Alan Godfrey was suffering from there, but. Is there um, Uddersfield, isn't it, all this kind of area, is that? Uh, not really, I suppose it's Halifax, yeah, I suppose that way, it's just past Halifax. There was a big one maybe six, seven years ago, there were like a real big spate of uh, UFO sightings around there. Yeah, um, oh, oh, there, there, is, there is around this area anyway, all the yeah. time, it's yeah. constantly, it's very strange, I think it, it, it was, I think it was a, a very haunted pub, I think it's called the Staff of Light or something like right, that. Yeah. That's an, and, but generally speaking, that whole area is an area of high strangeness. Yeah. Weird stuff is going on in Todman and even as we sort of speak yeah. really. You know, there's odd occurrences in that area. Going back to cows, right, it's bothering me. <laughs> How many cows are in that thing? <laughs> Were like all the cows? They're calling it like a herd. Yeah, so the whole yeah. herd had somehow managed to get itself in like the rugby stadium. Like or, or the, on the rugby pitch kind yeah, of yeah. thing. But, uh, That's fucking crazy, is that? Easy, isn't it? I find that all a bit weird. Well, they do look at you, don't they, cows? I don't like that when you're walking past them. They think, what are you all looking at? Suddenly get an eyeball by a load of cows. Yeah, they're, they're a bit uncanny, aren't they, all yeah, the yeah. cows, you know? I think this is the, I think this adds up to all the sort of strangeness of the entire evening, yeah. or the entire day, you know, where, you know, there's all this stuff going on. Next thing you know, he's, he's will be getting abducted. But it's like, yeah. even like the story of his abduction, where how he ends up, you know, what yeah. a weird thing. Little, little robot kids sort of thing. Oh, yeah, robot kids. Yeah. They have heads, arms, for heads. Well, uh, uh, yeah, uh, heads like a lamp, it describes. Oh, God. So that's a weird thing. I wonder what it means by that. You Because know, yeah, you could argue that's like light bulb shaped, isn't it? Yeah. Which is classic, uh, classic grey, isn't it? Yeah, the true, little yeah. greys. Yeah. You know, but why people come up with that same shape time and time again? Mm, it's really weird isn't it I think so you know I think the whole, the whole I, I do think they're possibly linked I, don't I know. do yeah. to the, mate you know I want to see it proven not to be linked right the other way around it's just such a coincidence isn't it? you know then yeah. those two cases are definitely linked to Adamski and that copper and then you think that is too much of a coincidence four week later that yeah. size thing going on in England well I, I don't think there was enough in the investigation that were Damsky's case anyway yeah. the fact is there's a guy found under very suspicious circumstances on top of a coal pile in the middle of Todmorden where he's never been in his life yeah. dead 
his shirt's missing, his wallet's missing. I mean, surely those things that were missing at all must constitute robbery, perhaps. Mm, like and the fact of this, yeah. Very least. And, and the fact if he's got a relative who could potentially have abducted him, kept him somewhere yeah. he's under duress. And these burn marks, what, what's going on there? Yeah, especially sticky, icky ointment. Or yeah, whatever it was. absolutely weird. Alien jizz all over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I find it a particularly strange thing. So is there any th- any other theory that you could come up with other than? For Adamski's case. A whirlwind, you could get sucked up by a whirlwind, couldn't you? But you ain't gonna give you an aircut and <laughs> rob your wallet, <laughs> is it? You know what I mean? No, this is it. It's, 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 I, I think there's only two possible answers to this, right? Mm. Even if you're stretching it. And that is, he was, well, he was abducted in one way or another, I think. Yeah. yeah. I, d- I don't think he's wandered off a bit like, oh, God, I need to claim me. I don't, I'm gonna go reinvent myself. Because right. he did say he'd never have left his wife. Yeah. He was yeah. too much of a caring man for that. He just loved his wife. Yeah. He didn't want to harm her. He didn't want, and of course, he's in a wheelchair. Yeah. And people did say, oh, well, maybe he's gone off and killed himself because he's been so depressed about not being getting up and finish work yeah. early. But the reason he wanted to finish work was so he could look after his wife. Yeah. And the fact that he killed himself, that means that um, he, he could never look after her again. And plus, you'd have to kill yourself. Kill yourself, and there's no marks on him, so no. that burns in a dodgy ticket. Yeah. God. And where where has he been between sort of those days as well? If he's been, say, like, wandering Steep homeless. <laughs> <laughs> well, he said, no, he wasn't a heavy drinker. Oh, right. He wasn't a heavy drinker, no. That's it. He, he, he smoked, which is, seemed to have been his major vice. Mm. And he did like a drink. He wasn't, like, you know, yeah, teetotal. teetotal. Yeah. But he wasn't, nobody turned around and said, oh, like Zygmunt Adamski is not a, he's not a pisshead, you know. Mm. So this, this is a thing. Everywhere they look and everyone in the interview, they just said, no, he's really popular, really steady. He liked at work. He did bad worker and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, Liked his potatoes. <laughs> he loved his potatoes. <laughs> Good Polish boy. <laughs> God, but they're linked to say you were first on the scene. But why would the link you? Are the aliens peeping at him or something? You know what I mean? That's so yeah. fucking weird, isn't it? You know what I mean? Is it something? How would that be connected then? I don't know, I have no idea. It is just an incident of high strangeness. I do personally link those two incidents. But what it was, whether it's something from outer space or whether it could even be like some sort of weird planted kind of incident to sort of even to discredit Alan Godfrey. Maybe he was Mm. looking too far into the Zygmunt Adamski case. And so they just want to discredit him by having this weird incident. It could have been that. I don't know. I'm from the ministry as well. I know. Mm. Dodgy shit. Dodgy shit. <laughs> but I think it's one of those things we just have to write off as being unexplained, but mm. we'll always keep an eye on the uh, Zygmunt Adamski case mm. and the, everything that's happened with Alan Godfrey as well. Mm. And hopefully, if it does turn into some sort of film or a documentary, that'd be, cool, something, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I'd have to watch it. Yeah. We'll be playing it here at Kraken Cove. I like it. And as a toyer said, it's a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> so I think for now, we'll just have to say a big goodbye. So it's a big goodbye from Matt. That's a big Bye bye from Benny. Take care, guys. <laughs> there are three ways you may contact Kraken Cove. Either by email at podcast at gmail.com. On Twitter at Kraken Cove. Or Instagram at Kraken Cove. Ha ha!